Welcome to the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater 2020, our YouTube channel where we discuss lacrosse highlights with the all-stars who created them. These are the audio files, and I'm your host, Mitch Belisle. All right, we are here, episode 28, with Mike Levin. Mike, welcome to the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater. Well, I'm very honored to be here. Does anybody still call you Levs, or is that just... Yeah. Uh, okay. It's weird. It's like I have my whole, like, professional life now. Like, people who know me from working with me, but they, like, there isn't a lot of carryover of, like, playing lacrosse nicknames. So, like, like, I almost this, e- this can like, revive I almost, it. I almost emailed, like, you emailed me, and I almost wrote back Levs, and I was like, this is like a professional setting, even though it's just two of us. I'm just going to stick with Mike here. That happens to me all the time. I'm just like, what's the appropriate thing here? But well, just funny, you, work in, you work in lacrosse too. So it's like you would think there'd be more carryover, but I guess, I guess it's. Uh, yeah, I think I just try to pretend that I'm more professional than I actually am. So I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the beard, you got the beard going, you got the longer hair. So you can blame that on COVID or being in Santa Monica, either, either one, right? Something, yeah. Kids, kids are good for blaming stuff on. They're like, oh, I couldn't make it. My kids, you know. <laughs> so where you are, you're in Santa Monica right now. Yep, I live in Santa Monica, so I'm in my awesome. garage where I've been holed up, hanging out in my garage a lot for these last few months. It's a good-looking garage. Yeah, yeah it's nice. I'd say garage. It's like it, it's nicer than a garage, but no, the car no longer lives in here. But it, yeah, we're making the most of it. So that's your that's your de facto office is the garage yeah. turned into. Yeah, that's yeah. A really nice, that looks like a full-on office. <laughs> um, well, Mike, you know we're we're excited to to get get you on here. I dug through the archives to find some some good video. You know, guys like yourself that played in some of the earlier days of the MLL. There's less highlight clips and more full games available. So got to watch some some fun ones that we'll dive into. But before we do that, you know, I think. You had a legendary career at Brown, and you came from from Rochester, New York. And how did you end up at Brown? What what got you there? And and then looking kind of at, at your time at Brown, we'll, we'll go through some of those things. Yeah, so it was definitely a different era of of recruiting back then. Ryan and I are the same year. I feel like you guys are probably more familiar with the the changes, but it kind of felt like we were sort of like the last class before things really started to shift. Like. I remember there are a couple of early commitments. Ryan was probably one of them, but like, not like it is now, you know? And so I just kind of like played high school lacrosse and like figured that if I was good enough, like somebody would see me and try to do well in school. And there's like, you know, there's a few schools recruiting goal. Like when you kind of do the Venn diagram, you're like, okay, I want an academically selective school and I'm, and I think I qualify and I play goalie and I'm in this class it's basically tur- turned into like there were about six or seven schools recruiting six, the same kids, you know? So I was kind of like, a, it's funny because at the time I had my heart set on going to Dartmouth for some reason. And uh, I was at top 205 and I went up to Lars, who was an assistant there, who you know now the coach at UVA, who I'm sure anyone watching this will know. And who's also became the coach at Brown. Not, I never played for him, but he went there and he was like, I'm like, so, I'm really interested in Dartmouth. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've seen you play. You're all right. He's like, what are your grades? And I told him, he's like, what are your SATs? He goes, yeah, you're not going to get into Dartmouth. We're not going to help you. <laughs> so that was like, the, I was like, that was like the first at top 205 camp, like the college night. I was like, oh my God, really? What am I going to do? So then um, 
I, like, I was kind of walking around. The, one of the Brown assistants came up to me and was like, hey, I want to talk to you. And he was from Rochester. And he like had um, kind of like I was on his radar or whatever. And yeah, I ended up looking like kind of came down to like Brown and Georgetown. But um, I just, uh, you know, I was looking for an academically selective school. And I think looking back on it, I kind of stumbled into a great college experience. Brown's a pretty unique place to go to college, I think. And I was mostly just looking for like a really good school. And I also wanted to play lacrosse but I got a lot out of going to a college like Brown. And, and who were some that you mentioned? Cause it is funny talk. We've talked to a couple goalies on this, but like, yeah, the recruiting pool gets so much smaller when you narrow down to a goalie, even more so than like a face-off guy, which now is different than it was when we were getting, I don't think that was probably recruited specifically for face right. You know, who were, who were the other goalies in your class that you were like seeing on recruiting visits or, or you right. talking to? Well, Tillman Johnson was like, he was one of the first early guys. So he was like yeah. kind of basically already committed, but he was like well-established as pretty much the best guy in the class. Um, and then there was a guy, um, I'm, I'm having even a hard time remembering. I'm trying to think of like when we became seniors, like who were the goalies then? But um, there was a guy, I remember I was on a visit to Georgetown with, a, I think his name was Brian McAleer, who was from Long Island. Um, there was a guy who went to Notre Dame our year, but I can't, I don't think it was one of the Kemp's, but it could have been. It might have been like Kyle, just before the Kyle that? Was Kyle Miller? He was, yeah, here. Kyle Merrill, Miller was my year. On the radar at that point, though, since he was Canadian, but yeah, it was like pre like the, the floodgates opened from Canada. Like you were truly under the radar if you were a recruit from Canada. Um, so. There was somebody else that I'm forgetting that I, I, I kept stumbling into. I kept, I, I don't think a lot of them ended up like playing for all four years or anything. I don't, I wouldn't, I, I think it probably wasn't that deep of a goalie class in retrospect. Um, but I'd have to go back to look at like Empire State games. That would probably be like the best proxy. But I can't even remember who was the, who the other goalies. It, it's, it's so funny you said that about Brown because like the first like couple years of trilogy, like, kids would be like I'm really interested in like an academic school but a school where I could like you know play lacrosse competitively and then like we would kind of we would kind of knew the kids socially a little bit and we'd be like you should check out brown like and like I didn't <laughs> no, like, know so anything I like didn't even know anything I just like knew like these like superficial and kind of auxiliary things it was like me and this guy Matt Trevena we'd, we'd always be like we both went to Princeton we'd be like you should check out Brown. I think like, I think like that would be like a good fit. And like, like we do any specifics or particulars. It's like, that's the vibe I'm getting from you. You know, I'm getting a very Brown vibe from you. So that's, that's, that is how people at Brown would think though. So it kind of works out. It's like, and what was the, what was it that sealed the deal that you're like, all right, Brown is the spot for me. Other than them being like, Hey, we need a goal a year. We'll, we'll take yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's interesting because, Coach Pete Lozani was the coach and he came to my house, which was like a really funny recruiting visit story. Like he's like, our family's gone on vacation to the Adirondacks, we'll swing by. And he comes to my house and he has like his two kids and his dog and his wife who also went to Brown. And they like, his, his dog comes running out of the car. They're like this old beat up Subaru station wagon. And the dog's like running, tearing up my house. And I was just like, <laughs> This is like not your, this is not like every other lacrosse coach. Like I'm into, and I was into it, you know? And then like his, we spent like his wife, I remember when we were eating, she like, she offered this whole different perspective on like what it was like to go to Brown and not play lacrosse. That was like, I wasn't really getting that in any of my other recruiting experiences. And I was just like, 
I, I loved them both. I loved the, the whole experience. And I had other great experiences with coaches, but I was just kind of like, wow, this is like a little bit different. As it turns out, he left right before I got there. So I never got to play for him. But, um, and I think on my visit, I was like, I just found that <clears throat> it kind of similarly, it was like not your average lacrosse playing scene, you know, like I found a lot of interesting, smart people who were like different, you know, and I had a great experience at Georgetown. I stayed with Kyle Sweetie. And I was like, well, there you go. That's why you didn't go there. <laughs> another another uh, loyal guest. Just let's throw yeah, him under the regular. bus. And coach, you, coach, you was amazing, but it was just like, I, and I was like, these guys are, it was obvious that they were very good and they were going to be very good. Um, but I just, there was something about Brown that I can, I really appreciate it. Well, we always talk about, you know, with our kids and when we're helping with the recruiting process, like, would you be happy there if you didn't play lacrosse? So it's so interesting that you say you got that perspective from an outside, an outsider, a lacrosse outsider. That, that's a kind of unique, uh, bring, along, bring along someone who, who went to the school but didn't play lacrosse there and make them the secondary sales pitch. I like that, that concept. I yeah. on you. It's almost like, was it like a little like pre-planned? Like, I, I don't think it, it, se it seems like it wasn't, but like if they're yeah. like, dog, okay, we're gonna take- dog, dog guy, we'll bring the dog. <laughs> I don't bring the, bring the kids, bring the, <laughs> Hey, honey, you're gonna come to dinner too, and then like casually, yeah, you know, she's around. She didn't around. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. It's like really make it a full family experience. I think there needs to be more like team coordination in recruiting. It's like you see in the football when like you know the guy. I remember seeing a couple of years ago when Kevin Sumlin at A and M like shows up at the high school game with a helicopter. It's like. This is a lacrosse version of that. You know, you just get like your buddy to come along. It's Subaru version. We don't quite have the helicopter showing up at your game yet, but uh, we got the Subaru and our family dog. So. <laughs> and, and so did, who started your freshman year? Because you, was it your sophomore year? I started my sophomore year, yeah. My freshman year was a guy named Barrett Dixon, who's an amazing Oh, my God. Goal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Barrett he Dixon. won the Kelly Award in Maryland, and he was like just an awesome, awesome person to be a freshman when he's a senior. Because he was like clear incumbent, there was never any like sort of like no, I never felt like I should be the starter, you know. And I hope he never felt that way either. He was the hardest working guy on the team. He would constantly pull me aside and be like, "We're going to do like a goalie workout." And I really like he was. I really like it. Looked up to him. So it was like a great situation for me to walk into. And yeah, uh, yeah he was an unbelievable scenario. player. And and and, and so he, he was the top recruit of his class. Uh, yeah. From a goalie perspective, I mean, at least at least that was like my perception of, of hey, him and, and his session. Yeah. Calvert Hall. Calvert Hall. Okay. Yeah. Calvert Hall. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of the best best opportunity, right? Take a year to learn and and then be ready to fly right away. And who were you competing with that sophomore year for that starting spot, or was it pretty much a shoe in? Um, no, there was another guy named Alex Schultes who um, was ahead of me. He was from I think Episcopal Academy in Virginia. Um, he was a year ahead of me. And he had, like, played in the German national team one summer. So he had, like, good international experience. And he was a good goalie, too. And then um, a guy came in behind me, Nick Janalesco, who was a year behind me. Um, he ended up taking a year off and got, him, got, like, an extra year to play. So I had, like, the inside track, you know, I, or at least I thought I did as a freshman. And as it turned out, I did. But, like, you know, we had, a lot, we had some other good goalies on the roster, for sure. Browns had, a, like, a long history of good goalies. Yeah. Does, it, does it go back before Catrano? I guess Sal, right? Is Sal the godfather there? There's a the guy named Jay Stalfer was before Catrano. It was really good. He was an All-American. And um, 
then I mean, there's definitely some other ones. I remember. Sal's a UMass guy. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sal's a UMass. Sorry. Sorry. What, um, I probably just it's defended it's like a lot of people. I, even I don't know that What's much that? about history. I was like, I don't, I don't remember Sal Castle. No, I, I'm sorry. I just. Uh, that Although was, I will, I've been um, edit that no out. We gotta edit that out. <laughs> with no sports on TV, I've been watching some like old school lacrosse games on YouTube. There's just some great. I'm big like early '90s, mid '90s lacrosse. Um, but I, the great game was the 98 World Championship at Hopkins, and Sal Acasio played amazing in that game. Yeah, that was Doc, Doc was talking about that being one of the best uh, – Who one of our goalies that we were talking to was saying that was, like, one of their favorite. Maybe it was Bill Day. Bill Day might have talked about that game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, Doc – I was watching it the other day, and Doc was the backup goalie for Lacasio in that game. Yeah, that's right. And, and front row seat right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, for your – expectations versus what happened obviously you were you're a three-time all ivy you were an all-american two-time captain like did your going into it were you like we're gonna win national championship we're gonna get to the final four were you like we're gonna win the ivy league what was kind of your expectations and then the the results were you know you're you guys have good seasons over the course of your four years but you were clearly the the kind of the backbone of that team yeah it's interesting i was thinking about it before this call because our my last college game was against ryan and uh, I, I'll never forget, you know, we lost a game I, uh, a few weeks prior to that um, to Penn. And I was kind of like, I think we're not going to be able to make the tournament. We never made the tournament when I was there. And I was devastated. I was just like, I put so much, I was, I was very all in in college. And I was like, I put so much into this and we didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. Then as it turns out, we had a big win against Cornell. And so, like, going into that last game, we had kind of an outside shot. Like, I think if we made it, we would have been kind of like a, a, a bubble team, but we had a good shot. And we lost. Princeton had a great team. And um, so I would say, like, at the time, I was, I was devastated. Like, I felt like I didn't – we didn't get where I wanted us to go. And, I, like, I didn't achieve what I wanted to as a player or as a leader. But, like, with a little reflection, I, I look back on it and I'm like – I had a great experience, you know, like it's uh, at the time I remember thinking we were like always underachieving and I think that we could have done better for sure. But then playing ML, I was like, Oh, like we didn't really have that many guys like this. <laughs> you know, Like when I was playing on Rochester, we had all these like animals on the team. I'm like, yeah, I thought we were underachieving, but like actually we didn't really have that many players like this. So maybe we were achieving like pretty much where we should have been. <laughs> like we didn't have like Brody Merrill's hunting people down all over the field, you know? we have good players, but not like that. And like, those are the teams that went to the tournament, you know? So, you know, look, you have a little maturity, you look back, like I had a great experience and I wish we would have done a little better as a team, but I don't think I could ask for a lot more of my college girls experience. And, and did you, as you're going through the process, did you have a clear vision of what you wanted to do after college or? No, I had no idea. I, um, after we lost that game, I was just like, I really felt like I had like unfinished career. You know, I was just like, I want to keep playing lacrosse. Like I kind of like so much of my identity was wrapped into it. I was like, I got to keep doing this. And um, I, my mom was a teacher. So I kind of like, that was on my radar. I'm like, I think I might want to go become a teacher. I hadn't really, I was like, I like lacrosse. I'll probably like coaching, but I, I wasn't, I just like after graduation, I went to the ML draft. Like I took my car drove from Providence to Sacred Heart. And then I was like, gonna go home and just like figure out my life. 
then they're like, okay, we want you to fly to Denver. So like, leave your stuff here, fly to Denver. I played like right after graduation, um, like which not all the rookies did. And then I was like, flew back to Newark, and, like drove home, and then I was like, okay, I guess my life's starting. But I hadn't. I was like, I hadn't really thought about what I was going to do that much. But it was. And then was the first thing you did going coaching at Holy Cross? Was that the the first? Thing I spent one year about? teaching math, teaching middle school math. Okay. And then I was like, I think I want to coach. Um, so I dabbled, my friend was coaching Holy Cross. So I went and coached with him for a year. And then I was like, I really want to be an educator. So I went back to, to grad school at BC where I was coached the club team, which was an awesome experience and was like, got my master's in education. I was going to, I wanted to be a teacher in a public, in like an urban public school. So that was like, I decided that's what, that's the direction I'm going. Yeah. Was there like one aha moment, you know, where you're like, I have to be in education or like, was it any, any factors that really made that cemented that you're like this? Cause you said you like, you thought about it, but it never yeah. was the thing until it was. Well, I'd have these, ex I had that one year teaching middle school and then I coached college and then I coached the club team. And so I was like, I just kind of, I wanted to be like an edge, like a, I really liked coaching and I wanted to be part of like a full picture of as an educator, you know, like, and so and I think it was more suited to like my strengths as a coach, you know, like I think I'm not, um, I wouldn't be like a great like X and the O's or like scouting report person, but I was better at like kind of like relationship building and like connecting with kids. And that's the stuff that I wanted to work on more. So that kind of led me to like, yeah, if I'm a coach, I want to coach younger kids. And I was, I was got really interested in like urban education reform, kind of like trying to make the education system better in low income areas. So. How how much of the, the inspiration you know came came from your mom or, or how helpful was she as a resource as you were kind of you know just just starting to to navigate things in terms of being able to pick her brain or or, or be able to just draw from her experience and be like okay I know if I go this way this is kind of what it looks like so I'm I'm gonna kind of go this way but I'm gonna borrow some things or ask her about some things that I can maybe yeah. you know I think um, I think I definitely from from an early age, like I wanted a career that I could like find meaning in. And I, and I think I took that from her. Like I knew that she like, yeah. she was like, this is important work. And, and I also kind of had like a blueprint, like, Oh, I think I can make a life for myself if I'm a teacher. I saw what that looks like, you know? And then also I was kind of, I think I was like kind of risk averse. So I, that felt comfortable to me. Like I know what this looks like, so I'm going to do it. Now I would have like, part of me wishes I would have like explored some other things. I mean, it's worked out great, but she like, provided a good blueprint in that sense. And definitely kind of in terms of like philosophical orientation, like have a job. And she she would never push me in any direction that, for anything really, but just like, I saw her and I was like, I want that. I want to have a job that I'm like, feel passionately about. Yeah. And, we'll, and we'll dive back into, into kind of that side of the journey, but going back to, to lacrosse. So did you get, was it the barrage who drafted you in the, in the ML draft? No, I, I <laughs> You know, my, my best friend from high school once described me um, as the, um, the Trent Dilfer of the MLL. He's like, you know, you're pretty good, but not that great, but you won a championship. It was mostly because your team was pretty good. I was like, that's fair, you know? And so it's like, my, I was, to answer your question, I was a journeyman. You know, I, I was drafted by the Bayhawks, which was Gary Gate, player coach. So that was like pretty it was a cool experience as like someone being my age being like wow this guy Gary Gates like my coach and like you know it's um 
and my teammate and yeah exactly probably the gm of the team and right <laughs> what do you want to do gary so, yeah I, yeah and like you know you guys have probably i'm sure have met him and stuff but he's like I don't really know what I expect him to be like that, but he's like really, you know, he's super like laid back. You know, we'd be at training camp, be like, ah, we're gonna like scrimmage a little bit today. (laughs) And then he was just like so amazing as a player. So it was just cool experience. Then the next year, um, I went back with the Bayhawks and uh, I was kind of battling like Trevor Tierney had, me and Trevor and Rob Sher were the three goalies on the roster. Right. So it was kind of like somebody was gonna be the odd man out there. And I think they knew, they thought it was going to be me and Doc broke his thumb in like the, one of the early games of the season. So the barrage needed a goalie. So they traded for me or I, they picked me up or whatever. I think they traded for me. And then I, so I played in his absence for a couple of games that my second year. And then he okay, came back. We have, we have video footage. I think your first game in there, you set your personal high save record, right? It's possible. I played pretty well, as I recall. I know Ryan was there, I'm sure. This, this, <laughs> this is week five. I believe it's a keen. Uh, God bless the internet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> get the volume down here. But look at, look at this film quality footage. This is high, extra high depth. This is the Barrage versus the New Jersey Pride. Looks like it's Kane University is where you guys are playing this. And it also looks like it was filmed from a like camcorder that you hold like <laughs> It's pretty wild to think about how how long ago this was and like this is the way you can't even tell what's going on <laughs> with this footage. It's good though. I'll be like I'll be playing I'll be, it makes it seem like I'm playing great. You can't really see either way. Yeah, so is like, it, did that, did is that it, go in? Did he well, save well, it? No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Right now you're not even in a cage. That's Rob Share. Yeah, so, no, that's that's the other team, I think. That's, he's the, uh, yeah, he's the New Jersey. Yeah, he's the New Jersey Pride goalie. Share with yeah, it, I think it was actually Scott Schroeder. Oh, okay, sorry. Yep, no, you're right. Because Rob was Rob was still on the Bayhawks. Yeah. Is is this all ringing a bell though? It's like, are you getting brought back to this? I, I remember the game. I remember the game distinctly because I remember in, in, the, in pre in before the game, it was like my first game. So they're like handing me the stuff when you show up, you know, and like. I don't know if I was wearing the dreaded number 57 in this game, but it's definitely possible. <laughs> and it's like, so they're like giving me the stuff and they hand me the shirt that to wear under your, you know, like your like warm up shirt pregame, whatever, like the t-shirt. And it's like, all they have is like triple XL. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> thanks. Welcome to that, that was tough to get that 57 or 59 coming your way as a journeyman it's like you know it happens to you from time to time before they can they can order up a jersey look at that gumball they threw you there yeah it's like i'm not taking myself too seriously i, I know the situation here but like <laughs> this was just like the, the the slice of humble pie was just maybe like a little bit too big like yeah yeah come like, on <laughs> like we know what's here but just you know, just right there just, yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, there's it's 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 a little hard to watch because it's so it's so grainy. But but this is so this is the beginning, right? This is the beginning. But yeah. you, you made 21 saves in this game, so you're yeah. I played well. The good thing about the great thing about playing goalie in the MLL is like it's it's much more there's so much more like rhythm to the game, and it, I felt like less pressure in a lot of ways because the games are a little high scoring, like in the Ivy League you'd like play games that were six, four. And you'd be like, if I give up one bad goal, I probably just cost our team the season, you know? 
Well, and that, in ML, you're like, oh, it's a bad one. I'll probably get another chance in 50 seconds to make a great save. And, and, and you can kind of get into a rhythm. It goes both ways because you can also get in a bad rhythm and then it's like, it's a dark place if you're like having a bad day as a goalie. <laughs> but but on the upside, I found it a little bit easier and I kind of like got into a good rhythm. I think I, I wasn't feeling that much pressure because it was like kind of like what I was describing with Barrett where like Doc was the obvious starter. I was there to like fill in. I'm going to like help out, with, you know, and that was, a, that was a really fun game. It did a lot for my confidence. Though. Did you talk to Sweeney about your recruiting trip and, and um, not going to Georgetown based off the terrible time that he showed you? <laughs> I did. We talked about it many times over the years, but it's, it's funny because there was a guy who happened to be visiting his friend. The guy that I met on my recruiting visit at Brown happened to be visiting his buddy who went to Georgetown when I was on my visiting from my trip to Georgetown. So like I'm there and he's like, I remember you from like two weeks ago at Brown and like we're hanging out partying. And he's like, he basically like, I ended up hanging out with this guy from Brown. Like the whole time. <laughs> so <clears throat> Sweeney did a great job as a host. I, I had a great time. I would have, I'm sure I had an amazing experience there. I just, you know, Brown was a good fit. Actually Schroeder, the goalie in this game was the goalie at Georgetown. Oh, that's and that, right, was kind yeah. of, that was kind of part of it. Because I was sort of like, I'll have to wait an extra year probably to play. So that was that did have, I'd say, like a little impact on the choice. So you you brought up, you know, being able to shake off a goal or two because there are such high-scoring games. Got to pull up this bad boy. I was watching the back half of this. This absolute barn burner of a international flavor for 26-26 tie game, highest scoring game in MLL history. You want to talk about shaking off a few goals? <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is the you know, high, right? You remember this? Yeah, I remember. I think <laughs> – um, I wasn't sure if I, you repressed the memories. My college coach, used to have, he used to, like, have this joke that he would use relatively being, like, if I, like, gave up a bunch of goals in practice or something, he'd be like, hey, do we need to get new nets? Like, are the nets worn out because they've been getting scored on so much? And that was, like, this game. But uh, shockingly, there actually were some stops in this game, like defensive stops. But uh, Right there. You just stopped yeah, there right you there. Go. But it, it was an incredible – John Grant Jr. was unbelievable at this game. Like, it's one of the most impressive, like, individual performances I've ever seen. He basically, like, took the team on his back at the end of the game and was, like – it was it was kind of impressive to just watch from the other end of the field. When I didn't even remember, I couldn't. I remember. I think I was. This is my rookie year, and I think I was flying to LA, and this was on ESPN. So I was watching this game on a flight, or about to take off for a flight. And I remember being like, "Oh my gosh, I'm about to go play in this league," or like had just started playing in this league. But I couldn't remember who won, and so I watched it last night. I watched the last couple of minutes of it my heart was racing. There's some insane, we're going to skip to the end here, but there's some insane plays at the end of this game. Like Jack Reed throws like an over the head, one handed rap on Mundorf that strips him with like, like five minutes into overtime. I'm like, what are you doing? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was, I, this was a great team. It was a really fun team to play on. And, uh, that's just the way the games go sometimes. It was, it was, I remember it's funny because it was Alex Smith. I went in his first game, the uh, face-off guy, uh, but he was definitely a rookie. So we were in Denver, and he went from college, you know, a, a bunch of face-offs or something. There were like 60 face-offs in this game. <laughs> I remember he was like, 
I see after the game, he looked, he was just like, what is this? Like, I'm not ready for this, you know? And he was battling against Jeff Snyder. It's like, who was, it was just like really tough face off 60 times in the altitude. It was like, but he did a great job and it was, yeah, it was a great game. The lad's just standing on his head here and then not having. He got all the saves out of the way early. But ready? Let's get the let's get the audio here because this is they got the helmet. You went from a hand hand cam to now your helmet cam. Whoa! Great save on the rebound. Lavs. I love it. His foot was definitely decreased. Wow! Zero gravity for Mundorf. When I saw your guys' um, episode with Brody, it, it made me pretty nostalgic thinking back about some of these early like. I guess it wasn't the early, early day. It was pretty early MLL days, but it was like, just looking at like Mundorf, like that, he was just an awesome, awesome player. Like, I love the way that he played lacrosse. Do you remember strapping on the old helmet cam for this game? No, I don't. I did not. I forgot that I had the helmet cam. But I, I was like, it's good to hear Quint's voice. Like, I, Quint, like, was not a, I don't think, like a fan of mine. <laughs> and I remember I got a text, not, not that he wasn't a fan of mine, but like, I remember getting a text from a buddy of mine one time and he's like, I'm watching this other lacrosse game you're not playing in. And Quint is like, yeah, like Rochester's got some real question marks in the goal. Like he's really going after you. Like what, what's up with this guy? So I'm glad to hear him say that, you know, I made a good save. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to fast forward here to the very end of this. Cause like I said, I was like watching this, like sweating. Junior scored like with like, you know, let me get back to before it starts overtime, but. There was not much time left when Junior scored to tie it up. With the two. I think he had late in the game or in overtime, like essentially what equates to like a step back three-pointer where he like was inside the two-point line, stepped backwards, but then was able to score, which is like his momentum's going the wrong way. It's like not something you see every day. Yeah, so so he, you guys are up. No, you guys are down one, but then we're down one. score here. They call a timeout. Guys, go to, go to the hopper. Yeah. Make this make the video smaller. Sometimes it streams a little bit better. I don't know if that's in my pay grade. Some backseat, what some a claim, backseat driving. What a claim to fame to have played goalie in the highest scoring of all time. <laughs> but they they didn't pull you. You played all four quarters. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even say it was like a ter my worst game. Like, I, I like sometimes the nature of the game is like. If you were to evaluate your performance, like how many bad goals did you give up or something? Like, I think I've had worse games, you know, like it was a game where there were a lot of good scoring opportunities generated. And like, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't my best game, but um, yeah, we got it done. That's a great, that's a great head cam shot there. That, that helmet cam is better than the entire 2005 games uh, <laughs> recording. All right. So we got, you're so down, down two seconds here. This might be the two-pointer. It's got to be because, you know, West, he's got to be thinking, looks like Westerville just scored to put put them up two. So he's got to be like, well, that's the game. Yeah. I just I just iced that. Who's the thing that's great about this team is, like, with Alex Smith facing off and Brody and Chris Schiller on the wings, it was like we basically were like we had such a possession – that was it. Such yeah. a possession advantage. Then our offense was like we, we were basically never out of it. It, it, your your offense was silly, silly for that stretch. I mean, like 77's Colin Doyle, he's running out of the box for God's sake. Like that that's just like borderline not fair. 
So Lee Zink, double. Well, who was 77? A D, was that like a D midi? Because he was off the face yeah. off. No, no, it was Colin Doyle. Doyle. Oh, that's right. It was Doyle. So he tried to double. So, yeah, just say it's mistake. Big mistake. Yeah, not a D midi. Definitely not a D midi. No. <laughs> and not someone you're going to knock the ball out of his stick either. So why yeah. try? I remember. Um, Got to wonder who was seven on, on Rochester that wouldn't give it up for Colin Doyle. Like, like who's, who's rocking seven? Yeah, it's like, nah. Oh, yeah? Cor yeah, Cornell guy. Who was it? Yeah, sounds about Pat right. Dutton. Sounds about what? right, Levs, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Typical the, Cornell guy. I know, I know. Um, see if I can get this last yeah, play. Doyle was, Doyle was an amazing player um, to, like, so Brody was on the team, and I think Brody was, like, friends with him and knew him from indoor and stuff. And, like, but Colin Doyle did not have, like, extensive experience playing outdoor lacrosse. Right. And the first game he played, I think we were actually playing against you guys, the barrage. Like, uh, Brody was like, we got to pick this guy up. So we picked him up. And he had, had obviously had a great career with the Rock, but I don't think he was, like, on the radar of, like, a lot of other ML teams. It's like, this is somebody who's got to be picked up. And we're going, we're like warming up for the game. He's an awesome, awesome guy. Amazing teammate, super fun guy to hang out with. And we're getting ready for the game. And he's like, so like, what are the rules? <laughs> like, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this guy's about to play a pro lacrosse game. He's like, so yeah, what are the rules? And he was like, I'm pretty sure he had like four assists or something. You know? <laughs> Shooting score, baby. Shooting score. Uh, yeah. uh... Well, so yeah, so you went from you know there, and then and then this Rattlers team, you guys ended up winning the next year in two thousand eight. So, but did you? So watching the highlights, I think I remember this. You and Queener split halves, right? You would play the first half, and then he yeah, would play the second half. Yeah. So I went into the years like the incumbent starter, and I played pretty well in the beginning, and then he came on as a rookie, and then I had a couple like shaky games, and they played him, and we kind of like stumbled into this this like routine, but I think probably for like the second half of the season, at least that was like the set routine. I played the first half, he played the second half. And we, we took that the whole way through, won the championship that way. And you kind of like, like it's such a head scratcher, but at the same time, like you're such different styles. And, and I remember like, I, it's probably a talking point that you, like he provides that second half spark of coming out of the cage when like, maybe you need, you need fresh legs or you need a spark out of the back end, which, I always thought it was interesting, and obviously it worked, right? It worked for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was like very well suited for him. Like it would put him in a position to do what he could do really well for our team. And I mean, I think he's a great goalie. Like I think he's a little underrated as a stopper in general. Like, like, but I just think he was a great goalie, and it was tough for me because I like, you know, I I kind of had like yielded this what had been my spot through some like shaky play. But I was, like, getting a little older, so I was trying to be mature about it, you know, and just be like, okay, like, this is what the team needs me to do. And, and I really, the, the, really liked the team a lot, like, personally. It was, like, a really close group of guys. So, and it was, like, a, obviously a great opportunity to win a championship. So, it was an awesome experience, you know. Like, I, I didn't play as well as I would have wanted to that year, you know. But I, I felt like I could make good contributions to the team, and, like, we figured out a way to make it work. So. Looking back on it, it was like an awesome, just an awesome experience. That was a bad ball. This game, this game is a bloodbath. Yeah. Um, I mean, this yeah, game this is, is where our offense just went crazy. 
I remember game. feeling feeling for Schwartzman at the other end. I'm like, this guy's going to lose it. Well, this is the this one game. that Sweeney and I – or Sweeney was talking about where he was like, oh, whoever wins whoever wins this game has to play – right, you guys – you guys, because we lost to Denver and you guys lost to Rochester. That's right. Yeah, we lost to Rochester. Yeah, semis. yeah that, was a, that was an incredible game. Like, it was – we had been battling all year, really, and like it was, it was like basically a coin toss. I think it came down to like a very small number of plays, and I think Casey Powell scored the game-winning goal on like. Yeah, that's right. The, that's right. The, the window was like this big. It was like it was a great shot. Yeah. So, is this your first? Was this your first one of your first major championships that you won in lacrosse? Yeah, I was going to say uh, interreal football at Brown, two thousand two. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I won a sectional championship in lacrosse in high school, but I never, that was it. And this, this play by Brent, I won the Bayhawks a couple years later. This, this play by Queen, it was pretty absurd. I remember this one where he throws the between the legs <laughs> back. I, was, I remember, <laughs> what? Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that, but it's like, it was awesome. Like he, he was, a, he Chills. did a Schiller, we had so many great teammates. Schiller was just yeah. an awesome. Was Schiller the captain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome captain, he's, awesome teammate. Uh, he's, it's, yeah, he's like the perfect captain, right? <laughs> it's just like, I'll follow that guy. Like, what yeah. do, you, what do you want me to do? He's just such, yeah. such a stand-up person. Yeah, and he, he, he didn't need to say much. You know, it's. I remember yeah. one time they were doing the helmet cam. They were doing like the audio, and he's like, they, they decided to mic me up, and he's like. There's like they mic'd up the wrong guys. Like I didn't say one word the whole game. <laughs> but like that's the kind of person he is. He he would lead. He was the leader of the team, but he didn't have to like tell people what to do. It was just like everybody knew like he's going to set the standard for like professionalism. He was one of the first guys who I met who was like <clears throat> like what it means to be a pro lacrosse player, you know. Yep. And I would that was that had a big influence on our team, I think. And he's another Rochester guy, right? Grew up in Rochester. Yeah. Rochester. That was the cool thing about that team we had. I'd say like more than six, more than fifty percent of the team. It was basically everyone was from between Syracuse and Toronto. It was, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like so, like Joe Walters. I played against when I was eight years old. You know, like I've known him for a long time. We grew up near each other, and like Dutton is from Rochester, Schiller is from Rochester, Joe Smith was from Buffalo, Saul Bliss was from like Tully. You know, Reggie was from Syracuse. Just like. Casey was from Carthage. It was just like we were upstate Canadian group. That is that is like a true blue. That's like there's. I'm surprised you guys didn't have Carhartt. Uh, <laughs> we need that spot. I don't know who's in charge of sponsorships, but let's get on it. <laughs> and then and then so when did you make the move over to? So you won in 2008, and then you were you won again in 2010 with Chesapeake. When did you go from from? Uh... So after we won, the team went out of business. Uh, yeah. Right, right away. And so then I was living in Boston at the time and Boston picked me up. And so I played, that was when we all played together that one year in Boston. And uh, then the next year I was kind of like, I'm thinking about not playing. And um, my now wife was going to business school in UVA at UVA. And I was, so I was like, I think I might want to play. And I called BD and I was like, I th my role on that team, on the Cannons team, I played a, a fair amount. And then Kip kind of like was the starter. And I was basically like a reliable backup. The Trent Dilfer thing, I think, is kind of right on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it was kind of like, like, 
can you call, can you trade me? It'll be a little bit more convenient for me. And like, you can probably fill this role. Maybe you can get something for me. <clears throat> and so that's how I ended up in Chesapeake. And that was my last year. So you went on top, you go out, you sort of like, I can't get any better than this and, and ride yeah. off the sunset. It's funny because uh, my, <laughs> the last year it's like, they, I remember the, one of the coaches for the Bayhawks and like wanted to do these like really extensive warmups. And I was, I, I played well in training camp and was like, the goalie was Chris Garrity. He had an amazing year. And so I lost that to him, which was like the right decision by the coaching staff. Obviously we won the tournament. He, we won the championship and he played great all year. So I like had, was, had the role of the back. Also, also another, also another great dude. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I had a, um, I knew my role in the team, but I also knew that I was kind of coming to an end and like the guy would be like, let's get a warm up," in. And I'd be like, he'd get like three shots. I'm like, I'm good. You know, <laughs> it's like I've been playing lacrosse for 25 years. I'm, I'm, I'll, if, I, if I'm going the game, it's not going to be for like an hour from now. I'm like, I'll, I'll do some stretches on the sideline or something. <laughs> it's like, I've been hit with the ball enough. I don't need any more. And we had uh, Phipps was a rookie. So he came on like halfway through and then practice. Like, Mind if I get some reps? I'd be like, totally. Before it. <laughs> it's like playing goalie is like, it doesn't age well. It's like you, it's like you kind of are like, I don't ever really look forward to playing casually. Cause it's like, I don't like being worse than I remember myself being, you know, it's like kind of mentally not a good place to be in. It's not like, Oh, I go play and I threw it out of bounds. It's like, Oh, that guy scored on me. <laughs> And you're getting a ball shot. So, yeah, like, and you get hit with the ball. You're just like, you know, I don't – I might play like in Lake Placid or something like every once in a while, but – I think I, was I kind think of two, like – I think 2010, Levs, was, was the year uh, – your, your warm-up version was my one-on-one -on -one version where we used to do <laughs> this drill where we do one-on-one -on -one into a three-on-three -three and yeah. be like, I'm, I've had plenty <laughs> of one-on-ones. I'm <laughs> – I'm good. Just somebody else could do the one-on-one, -on -one and then I'll just hop in for the three-on-three. Yeah. Is yeah. everybody okay? Is everybody okay with that? Like, if everybody's okay with that, that would be super. Well, that was the great thing about Sweeney. Sweeney would always be like, I remember all these like travel experiences in the MLL where you're like, oh, we're running late. Can we get the practice in? Sweeney would be like, I really don't think we need to practice here. <laughs> always pushing for no practice. It was great. Sweeney's the ultimate no practice guy. <laughs> I mean. To his credit, like, I mean, the guy was ready to go on game day. It's like, he didn't need to practice. <laughs> uh, so, so you, you know, you got, you ride off in the sunset on, on the, with the championship banner. And it, had you started, you had started Metro Lacrosse in Boston prior to this, correct? Yeah, I started, so after I had my grad school and I was playing this whole time, I went, I, I signed up to be a volunteer at Metro Lacrosse in 2007. And then they called me like, hey, we have this job. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because I was working there in November of 2007. It was already going. I didn't, I didn't found it or anything. And then I was there and I eventually uh, was working on the program staff, working with kids. And then I eventually became the executive director in like 2011. And that was, um, you know, I just kind of got interested in like nonprofit management as a career after working there. So I did some like professional education on it and just kind of like started to pursue that got a really good experience taking over as the executive director. I think a little bit before I was kind of like qualified to have that job. So it was really good, like training on the job. And I was, I loved the job and was really challenged by it and thought we were doing good work, important work. And um, then I, my wife 
we weren't married at the time and moved to LA. So I was interested in moving to LA and I get a phone call or an email one guy one day from a guy named Doc O'Connor, who was, uh, he was, I didn't, I didn't know who he was. He just was like, Hey, I heard about Mitchell lacrosse. I'm kind of interested in doing something like that in LA. Can I pick your brain? I was like, sure. Happy to tell you what I know. As it turns out, he was a partner at CAA, the talent agency. And just like, he was really well positioned to help start something. And I was interested in moving to LA for personal, like to start my life, you know? So I, we met a couple times and I put together a proposal and I was like, Hey, would you be able, would you make a gift to support this? I think we can get something off the ground here. And he did. And then we, we raised some more money. And so I, I was walking around Watts, not literally knocking on doors of schools being like, Hey, I want to do this. It was like, I just had me and doc and his support. And it was like, okay, start something. So <clears throat> I was out oh, there cool. trying to make it happen. And we started this organization in 2014 city lacrosse, which was great. We were, we were making great progress and I had known the guys from Harlem for a long time and they, uh, the board chair, founder of Simon Cataldo called me in like late 2016. He was like, Hey, are you interested in this job? I was like, uh, I not really, you know, we're about to have a baby and I'm happy. And, and then they were in the midst of national expansion. It was like, well, you guys could maybe become Harlem across LA and you could have a job from out there. And so that's what happened. So January 1st of 2017, when I officially started as Harlem across, but it was kind of like, all part of this journey of the same thing. As it turns out, a couple of years later, we ended up merging with Metro Lacrosse. So now they're under the same umbrella. Well, and and the, the irony there is, I remember we, we were talking years before because Metro had tried like a similar, yeah. I don't want to call it roll up because it's not a roll up, like a, a similar, because um, we were doing some nonprofit uh, uh, work in terms of trying to grow the sport in, in the inner city of Baltimore. And we, we had done some things there. And then Metro kind of was like, hey, we think that there's something here. Like, and we were like, that, that sounds great. Like, we would love to be a part of something kind of bigger within the sport as opposed to this little small thing that, you know, this, this very niche thing that we're doing. If we can be a part of something bigger, like, we're, we're, we're all for it. I remember having lots of conversations with you as that was going on. And then lo and behold, you know, fast forward kind of four years later and, and boom, kind of Harlem's able to pull it off. Yeah, it's interesting. It was like those a, lot of the, a lot of the same conversations, like uh, same ideas, you know, it was kind of yeah. like, are there economies of scale? Can we centralize right. some things to really, can we approach donors that maybe would be a, a, uh, interested in something larger, but we couldn't have access to as a really small grassroots thing? Same thinking, you know, it's just sometimes in life, it's a function of timing. It's just like, it didn't yeah. come together a couple of years earlier. And um, yeah, we've had some good success at that, that. We've scaled We've scaled up a bit. I mean, when I started at Harlem, we had, I think, 14 or 15 employees operating about a million and a half budget. Now we're serving about three to 400 kids. Now we're uh, about a $5 million budget, 46 employees serving like 1,300 kids, 12, 1,300. So it's been the, over those last four years, it's been like, I think we've achieved some of what we were talking about back then. It's kind of like, can you can it be kind of like a one plus one equals three, where if we all kind of band together, we can, we can achieve some bigger things. So. Well, it's gotta be exciting for you. It's kind of like these flags that you, whether you planted the flag or whether you helped raise the flag in, in Boston and then in LA, and now they're all under the same banner. I mean, that's, it's gotta be a reward. You're like the Johnny Appleseed of, of lacrosse and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And it, it kind of found you, which is, it, it, so it wasn't like you set out to do this at like each role kind of like, enticed you or, or, or pulled you in yeah totally I was like I want to volunteer this is interesting to me and like you know now my I didn't even really 
think of like a career as a nonprofit professional. Like, but now, like, you know, I would say that's my career more so than like it's a lacrosse thing. It's like a nonprofit executive director, which is a career that exists that I didn't know about when I went to Brown, you know. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I've learned a lot. It's good. It's, it does offer me a lot of the things that I was interested in as a, when I was thinking about teaching. You know, now I'm, I'm student facing a lot less. Like at City of Lacrosse, it was, it was grassroots. I would see kids all the time. Yeah. But so now I'd, I've spent a lot of time on other stuff. But um, so I miss that. But it's definitely find a lot of meaning in the work and challenged by it. it's different every day. And I'm sure there's a lot of similarities trying to run trilogy too. It's Sorry, I was just saying, well, I, I, the overlap is, has been cool where, you know, we've had Harlem lacrosse players for years come up to our Millbrook camp, and now some of those kids that were campers as middle schoolers are working events for us as staff members, yeah. coaches, and like, you know, like DJ Peterson, who came to camp way back in the day, then he was on our ice program, which is like our high-level program, now he's playing football and lacrosse at, at Bryant, working our, our tournament that we run there, like, it's just so awesome to start to see it come kind of full circle. And you see these guys that you remember as middle school kids who were coming out of the city for the first time. And now they're like helping run events and giving back and, and your voices have changed. You know, it's very cool. Yeah. We have um, uh, two former Metro lacrosse participants that are full-time staff members at Harlem lacrosse, one of whom That's I coach. Awesome. Um, and we have one former Harlem lacrosse participant who actually came to a camp that we ran at Metro many years ago. So I knew him as a, like a eighth grader, probably. He's a program director for us in Boston. And we're, we just added a, a former Met, a Harlem lacrosse student to our board. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that it's 13 years ago that I started doing the work and you're like, yeah, that's enough time for someone to like grow into like an adult, you know? But um, I, I definitely wanted that from the beginning. I was like, Hey, like, I think there's injustice in the world and I, and I want to be committed to this work and I want to like, I want to try to be in this for the long haul. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like or how to make it happen, but I really want to stick by this or try to. And so I'm, I'm proud that I'm still at it. You know, it's funny. I'm running to coworkers. I've had a lot of great people I've worked with over the years and I'm, it's like, yeah, I'm still doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's like you knew me 10 years ago. I was out there like, you know, still at it, but I'm, it's, I think it's the right thing for me. Yeah, we and we can certainly empathize along those lines. And I think what's what's cool about just kind of this, you know, in, in, I'll just speak on personal level, like being in some of those meetings with you kind of early on, being being one of your teammates and, and being able to develop that relationship, like, and, and maybe both of us were, were doing stuff that we were maybe a little too young or unqualified for, as you kind of said, but, but we're able to kind of grow into positions and, um, you know, because of that relationship and the depth of that relationship, it's like, you know, th therefore when we're able to like talk and do stuff, some of the things that like Mitch has been so instrumental in, in kind of spearheading, it's like, you know, we, we know who you are, we, you've been doing it for, for so long. Um, and I think that speaks volumes to, to who you are in terms of just character. Um, but then also that just kind of also just gives some reassurance. Like we know things are gonna be done the right way and we know the organization's doing, doing the right things, you know? I appreciate that very much and feel the same way. It's like, it's cool to do the, it, one thing that's cool about working at Harlem Cross is like the community in general is like, there's tons of outreach people and it, and it's happened, I think in a, an acute way recently where people are saying, sure. Hey, we recognize where there's racial inequity and we, and we see Harlem Cross as being on the front lines of that. And so we want to help in some way. 
And as someone who like spent a lot of time like going to kids' phys ed classes and being like, here's a lacrosse stick and having them be like, what is that? <laughs> you know, and then like ushering them through their lacrosse journey, there comes a point where like they're not, like they've kind of grown beyond what sometimes what we were able to provide or what I was able to provide at that time. So you're looking for partners and it's like to have people that like, you're just like, I know you're in good hands with Trilogy. And these are people I really trust that have known a long time ago for a long time. And like, I believe in their abilities as professionals. I believe in their character as people. And like, they're just really talented coaches that it's just like, you have a very personal relationship with the kids. Yeah. You know, we all do, but like you, you kind of like, you want to handle it with care. Like I want to get, it's like, not like your own kids, but like, Hey, I want to make sure that if I'm directing you somewhere in the world of lacrosse, it's like to people that I know you're in a good hand. So it's been, it's been an awesome thing with the partnership. Well, and, and I mean, I think that bring, brings to light something that we talk about a lot. I'm sure you probably feel like this too. It's like, it's Harlem lacrosse, it's trilogy lacrosse, but really it's like so much less to do with lacrosse. Right. It's like, yeah. And you guys even more so than what we do, but but it's like we use lacrosse as this tool or this vehicle that links people. But ultimately, it's like teaching them to be a better person, teaching them about how if you work really hard, things will pay off. How if you practice, you get better at things. Like those are the skills that we're trying to teach, not necessarily like throwing a behind the back pass or, or dodging, you know, dodging north south. Because God knows I can't teach those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, I, I think it's. You guys are so. I enjoy my role in the lacrosse world because when I see like the world of college recruiting and stuff, it's like there's so many great experiences for kids, and I had such an awesome experience playing college, so I want that for other people. But sometimes it does seem that like everyone's like so focused on that outcome that they're sort of like missing everything along the way. And so, you know, at Harlem, we're a little bit different, like, we, we're pretty explicit, like, that's what we're all about, you know. But I, I just, it's I want people to get that experience to be like, not be like, okay, I got to get here and sort of miss out on like what they could learn along the way or just like the, the great experiences they could have along the way. There's like great teammates and learning really important stuff, like stuff that helps me as a professional that had nothing to do with playing lacrosse, but I did learn from coaches and teammates as a kid. And um, so, yeah, on the same page. Yeah, one one question I, I had that, that I was, I've been thinking about more recently, obviously with with everything that's going on and, and so many so much of it being about racial inequality and, and you know, Harlem across largely serving communities of color, how has that how has that shaped what you guys have done, the discussions you've had, how have you had how have you negotiated that and you know as a as a white male, right? Too it's a, another added challenge I imagine. Yeah, it's been a really, um, really intense period um, for me personally, but I think for Harlem Cross in general, like it, we were already in COVID and we were really focused on like um, educational inequities related to school closure. Like how can we support yeah. our kids? If you're someone who's, who has less, fewer resources, the ways that the school closure is in, disrupting your education is like disproportionate, you know? And so we were trying to support our kids in that way. And, and there are, of course, issues of race overlaying that, you know, like the kids who are the kids who have fewer resources and the kids that we serve are almost exclusively minority students. So 
Um, and then with the murder of George Floyd, it just sort of, and we were already doing a lot of work around diversity, equity, inclusion as an organization. We were about to, um, we'd secured a firm to do a DEI audit. Um, we were doing like a professional development series with our staff called Building Anti-Racist uh, White Educators. Um, we have like a bunch of other professional development initiatives. We're, we're working on stuff to make ourselves to really like, there are a lot of aspects of DEI work that are important for Harlem Cross, who has like really white leadership structures serving minority students. When George Floyd was murdered and the sort of like heightened awareness of racial inequity of the country, I'd say one of the things that came up was like just the the pain that a lot of our kids and families were feeling at that time. And so we're asking ourselves like, what do we need to do to support our kids and families right now? And also um, like engaging our black staff members and sort of like trying to like um, involve them in our, in our response. You know, like they, they had a really important perspective to share and like, we didn't want to overburden those people to say like, hey, you have to figure this out for her to figure out how to make Harlem Cross more anti-racist. But um, there were, they had really important voices to share including and perspectives to offer, including like Josiah, who's an alum. He's like, I experienced this as a student. He was an Africana study major at Hobart. Now he's a program director for Harlem Cross. So he's like, he has a lot to say, you know, that can help us be better and help yeah. us support our kids more. So, and then there's, there's also sort of like the public discourse, you know, how are people talking about race and racism? And so we've been like trying to figure out the right way to engage there. And we've added some people of color to our board. So I was really happy that it kind of like pushed us into action there. So it's been a lot um, in, in a pretty short period of time, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud to sort of like be in some ways on the front lines and, and, you know, be advocating for our kids and families the best that we possibly can. And it's important conversations that are hard, you know, that are going on right now. But I, I do, I think I may be fundamentally an optimist and I, I do see some, some great signs, you know, just of a lacrosse community, I think, moving forward and getting to a better place and Harlem lacrosse hopefully playing a key role there. So that was a lot. Yeah, no, it was well said. No, it was good. You know, I think it's it's got to be a challenge, and it sounds like the the thing that you know you brought up is like you guys were doing this already. Like a lot of the stuff about anti-racism is such a big word now that that people talk about, but it's like yeah, we were we were <laughs> that was an initiative for us before some of these horrible things happened, um, and that was something that you know you guys have been working towards for thir like you said, thirteen years, not just not just since. George Floyd was murdered, not just since some of these things happened, right? It just amplifies the, like the need for action, like you said. Yeah, I mean, we, like everyone, we, we can get better and we need to get better as an organization, you know? It's hard to reconcile, like, I'm both proud of the work that I've done to like combat racial inequality in the world of lacrosse and also recognize that like, we should be better, you know? We should yeah. have more people of color in the leadership of our organization, you know? We should have be more thoughtful about the experience of our kids as we like we are guiding kids to predominantly white institutions all the time you know kids that are going off to boarding school and to colleges and we should be preparing them the best that we possibly can and we should be preparing those institutions the best that we can 
we play kind of a unique role to say like, hey, this is the experience of this child. It's not like every other kid at your school. And you should yeah. be thinking about that when you're structuring their remote learning or when you're like um, designing activities for the kids on spring break and stuff. Or like, you know, there's a million things that come up where um, I think we can all be better. And I, you know, like I said, I hope Harlem can play a role in just pushing the ball forward. Well, and, and we'll leave you with one kind of one final question. What, what do you think you're the most proud of of Harlem lacrosse thus far? Obviously, continue, continue to have goals that you want to achieve, but what are you most proud of so far? Um, I mean, it's, it's a really special experience to get feedback from like parents. We got, a, we got an email from a parent uh, who had two students go through the program right after um, George Floyd was murdered, or it was, it was maybe a week later. It was after we sent out a statement about our response. And it was, um, you know, I've been moved to tears many times in, at work in the past like two months, I, more so than I ever thought I would. But um, it's, it's like I very, I really cherish the experience of someone going to you and saying like, thank you for creating these opportunities for my kids, you know? And it's like, I get to be in that position because I work here, but it, I recognize that that's the reflection of a lot of other people's efforts, you know? that's donors making gifts, that's volunteers, that's other staff members, that's partners like Trilogy. And like, I get to be in that, the person who like opens the info at Harold McGraw's email account and see this parent from, uh, email from a parent. But like, I, sometimes I'm like, oh man, I wish everyone who was a part of this could feel that. So I think just the individual experiences are the things that, in which you take the most pride. It's like, there's, these are big problems, systemic issues, you know, and, as we, it's going to be hard for us to solve them individually for any one entity, but to know that like, Hey, we can make a difference for one, for a kid, you know, and that's progress I think is, um, you know, it's definitely a good reason to get up and come to work every day. Well, your, your former teammate, Chaz Woodson was, was on uh, with Mitch, you know, seeming like, the, the days and weeks are it's like kind of hard to right everything every, it's uh, the shortest longest like and you know i he, he his words were just really impactful at least to me on a on a personal level and and was able to really kind of put his finger on kind of a lot of things that i had swirling and it was and, and some of the things you just said are kind of spot on as well it's like i think what chaz said was so powerful for me it was just like do do what you can do in your lot in life. Like if, yeah. if you're not a politician, you're not going to like, you know, change bills, but like, what can you do given, given what's kind of in your scope or in your purview? And, and to your point, like things aren't binary, like, yes. Like, do we think that we've hopefully helped? Yes. But that's also doesn't say that we, we have a lot more to do. Like it's both like, or it can be both rather. And like, if it wasn't, then like, start now if, if you have been then keep going and do more and, and so um certainly you know as one of your guys partners we're certainly proud of that but also like you recognize that so much more needs to be done and we want to continue continue to support and continue what we do to, to try to you know make make the world a better place in the simplest of terms and, and while recognizing that that isn't the case and hasn't been the case for quite some time yeah, well said. It's um, I know you got to run, Mitch. I want to share one story about Chaz. He, I was on a panel with him recently, and like, Chaz was a friend of mine in college. I would say, and to this day, and I've known his family and stuff. And but when I met Chaz, I didn't know a lot of black people. Like 
that I was eight, I was 19 years old. And like Mike's, I've spent some time reflecting on like what I was as his teammate. And I, and he said, when we had this conversation that I was a good teammate and a good captain. And I think I was, but when I look back on it, I'm like, Chaz didn't socially did not spend a lot of time with lacrosse team at Brown. He spent a lot of time with the black community at Brown. And I didn't, there wasn't one time where I ever was like, like tried to extend myself to say, Hey, what's going on? And like, and I never thought about all the things that we were experiencing where he was like the only black person experiencing it, you know, and I, yet I was his teammate. And like, I'm, I don't, I think I was a good teammate, you know, but it just made me think like, how could I be better in the world of lacrosse? And that's, um, it was a great, like having the conversation with him now was like, it was, it was really helpful to help me kind of like recognize that. And I think a lot of people are going through that sort of like self-reflection of like, I recognize that like there on that are like are unacceptable to me these are these are not like consistent with the values that i want to hold but like i've been living my life and sort of like allowing it to happen like what should i do and so it was great to have that conversation with chaz and he's really just a really thoughtful person so it's just like he's a great person to talk to about this stuff well, we, uh, we, I, you know, I got to carve out time. We always got to end with, with the, the quick hit questions. So I can't, okay. can't not include those. So All right. best place to play lacrosse? Ooh, best place to play lacrosse. Um, the best place to play lacrosse for me, I would say, was like Lake Placid. But I think we had a camp um, in L.A. at this boarding school of Thatcher, which is like the most – it's the most picturesque lacrosse field I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Go to their website and check it out. Like I, I only coached there, not played there, but I, I saw it for the first time with these like evening games, the sun's going down. I'm like, if I could play lacrosse again, this is where I want to play. Is that like North, it's like North LA, like up kind yeah, of. It's in o- up, oh, hi. Kind of yeah, it's in Ohio. Yes, yeah, yeah, that is a cool area. Um, all right, best teammate you've ever had? You know, we were talking about Schiller earlier. He's definitely up there. Um, I think Brody is up there as well. I would say those two guys really stuck out to me. Looks like we got to get chills on the, uh, on the podcast. Yeah, pull them up. Now, now that you're retired, you can admit this, but one, the one shooter that you're like, oh, dear God, like I got to go against that guy. Like I just, for whatever reason, maybe he's not the best shooter or this shit, but I just cannot, he has my number. I cannot save this guy's <laughs> shot. Um, uh, it's funny. Well, I'd say Kyle Dixon was somebody who I always struggle with. And I think with I him, it was like, he, yeah, like I wasn't the only one with that, but he just like, he could get so much velocity without a big windup. So it was always like yeah, on yeah. you quicker than you expected. Whereas like someone like Mike Springer is only got a hard shot, but he would kind of like, it would take a minute for him to wind up. So you kind of could prepare for it. Whereas like Dixon would just get it off on it. Every single time I was like surprised at how fast it was coming out. Um, best garbage plate in Rochester. I think, I mean, I'm like old school. Like uh, Nick Tahoe's is like, I think you want to go there. I don't even know if they're still open, but like when I was growing up, it was like a pretty dangerous place. There was like frequently like violent crimes happening there late at night. And it's like, I feel like if you're getting a garbage plate, you you want that whole experience, you know? <laughs> it's in part about the food, in part about like, this is like a kind of like a shady operation. But now it's like, it's, it's too corporate now. Like every restaurant has a garbage plate. It's like, I think, 
I go old school original Nictadas. Like a little risk involved. In exactly. You gotta eat it, eat it as fast as possible. That's yeah, fun. exactly. Oh, that's um, good. All right, best memory, best memory in lacrosse that you can uh, pinpoint. Oh man, it's <clears throat> like we're talking about playing, and it's like for so much of my life, I thought of my whole lacrosse career as like a player, you know. And I remember when I when I stopped playing, being like, what? And now it's like I've had like a long career in lacrosse, not as a player. So I think my best memories are actually like working at Harlem Lacrosse or Metro Lacrosse, like just like some some coaching experiences that I had where like just kind of like a ragtag group of kids. We, I remember this one game, it was like, we were like a total bad news bears group and it all came together and we won this game that we shouldn't have won. And it's just like, it was very fulfilling to me, you know, and it just really stands out among all the experience I had in lacrosse just because it was like, I think somebody once said to me, I think success as a coach is a little more gratifying than success as a player because you recognize just like, it requires a lot of different pieces coming together. And um, so I'd say that was, that's probably like my best memories. That, that one game of this, this group of kids from Metro Lacrosse was probably like 2008 or 2009. Spoken like a, a true executive director right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome, that's an awesome way to end it, but can't, can't say thanks enough for, for taking time out to, to talk to us and about some difficult topics, but also a lot of fun stuff and looking back at the old, uh, the old MLL handicam footage. So <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun and just appreciate you guys doing these and all the work that you're doing and the partnership and look forward to doing more with it in the future. And, and congrats on the, the new PLL uh, partnership. It's going to be uh, featured kind of coming up soon. Looking forward to, to learning more about that as, as those games kind of start popping up too. Yeah, really excited about that. They're doing great stuff in the sport, and I think have shown a real um, leadership in terms of um, like a lot of issues of social justice. So I'm excited to partner with them in that. And, and, and kind of last thing, give you the floor here. People who want to get involved, want to help Arm Lacrosse, want to find out more about what you're doing, what, what should they do? Yeah, definitely go to the website, and um, if, you, if you fill out the volunteer form, or if you want to make a gift and support our work, um, we're in five different cities, Boston, New York, Philly, Baltimore, and LA. So if there's something near you in the world of COVID, we've started engaging a lot of volunteers from all over the world. So if you're like, Hey, I want to do something. We've got virtual field trips happening with kids. We've got tutor remote tutoring happening with kids and the financial support is meaningful. You know, people are saying that helps us deliver our program in the way that we want it. And we're, we're trying really hard to build high school programs for every kid in our, who has Harlem across the middle school. And it's going to require growth on our part. And we can, but I think if we do, we're going to see some really exciting like long-term outcomes. And we're going to need everybody's help to do it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Lebs. We, uh, we appreciate it. We'll end on a Lebs. And, uh... Thanks, Mike. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, guys. Great, great work. Keep it up. Talk to you guys soon. Take care.